What a day it will be when I, we see our Savior face to face. It will echo back to the days of the Garden of Eden when man in his innocence was able to walk with Christ, with God, face to face. What a glorious time that was. What a glorious time it will be again yet in the future when we can be with him and see him and know him face to face. In the meantime, we anticipate it. In the meantime, as believers, he has given to us another comforter, his Holy Spirit, who indwells us, fills us, and encourages us. Do we hope in it? Do we hope in him? Do we know him? Do we joy in him? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I've just referred to a time in history in which man and God walked together face to face, nothing between. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it speaks of the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What's inferred here is that for the days prior to this day, God had come in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve, to spend time with them as friends. But you know what happened on this day. If you know the chapter Genesis 3, what has happened in this day is that Adam and Eve have not believed God's word, not believed his commands, and have disobeyed him. And so on this day, when they hear his voice, they hide. They hide themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And you know, beginning at this time and throughout history and into the future, God has longed to dwell among his cherished creatures, his creation, man, mankind made in his image. But there's something between. Sin is between. And so often our sin causes us either to hide from God or our sin causes God to hide his face from us. We saw that illustrated this morning in Bible Hour as we looked at some of the different prophecies of Ezekiel. There's something that happens very fascinating recorded in the book of Ezekiel, and it has to do with the Shekinah. Now, the word Shekinah is a Hebrew word that literally means the dwelling, the abiding, the neighbor. The Shekinah presence the abiding presence of God. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the Shekinah, the glory of God, was revealed visibly in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. If I could have the screen turned on here, I have a picture of that famous event as we see and imagine the pillar of fire during the days of the Exodus. As the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. They were led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire by night, giving them light, and a pillar of cloud by day, giving them shade. It was a visible manifestation of the glorious presence of God. It was something that was exciting. 
It led them into the wilderness. It led them to Mount Sinai. It there descended upon that mountain as a fiery furnace described with thunderings and lightnings. It was a glorious manifestation of the glory and presence of God among His people. There, in that wilderness, in that camp, in the center of it, a tabernacle was built. A tent, a tabernacle, which is in a dwelling place. And it was there that whenever the children of Israel set camp, the glory of God in the abiding glory, the Shekinah glory, descended upon that temple and hovered there between, I should say that tabernacle, and hovered there between the Ark of the Covenant, between the cherubims, just above the mercy seat. It was a visible reminder of God's presence there to the children of Israel. But how often in the wilderness wanderings did the children of Israel, rather than trusting in God, looking to Him, believing in Him, and obeying Him, did they turn from Him and go their own way, turn astray and do their own thing? God had promised to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised to bring them to a place of blessing. And when they came to the point of that, instead of obeying God and marching forth into the land promised in disbelief, they were afraid. And God judged them by telling them that they would continue in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation of unbelievers had died. That's just what happened. But in the midst of all those 40 years, God in His faithfulness did continue to provide for them that light by night and that pillar of cloud by day, providing for them light and shade. And not just that, He provided them food. In fact, their shoes did not even wax old. I'm looking at a pair of shoes I have I just bought last year, and I'm looking at them, it's like, oh my, they need to be replaced, and I hardly feel like I've worn them. But no, in this time, God provided so much for His own for his people, that even their shoes did not wear out. God longs to be and to abide with his people, and the whole system of sacrifices and the tabernacle was established and set to be an atonement for sin. The blood of animals was shed to cover sin. When those approached God the wrong way, not in the way that he had prescribed, Fire broke forth from this pillar of fire and consumed them. Two notable famous examples were Nadab and Abihu, but then later also the sons of Korah. Approach God his way, and God has made a way to approach him, made a way for us to come to him, even in the midst of his holy glory. As time went by, that tabernacle was made into a makeshift kind of building slash tent in Shiloh. And there the priests served God. Well, some of them did. You may remember Eli and his sons. His sons did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And their father did not restrain them, but rather let them continue 
in their great wickedness. And it tells us that the Lord there was in Shiloh, between the cherubim, above the mercy seat. You'll remember that as time went by, they brought that Ark of the Covenant to battle against the Philistines. It was captured. It was captured not because the Philistines had gained any victory over Jehovah, but rather because the Jews had brought it forth, not in seeking to follow God, but had brought it forth as a relic, as a good luck charm. And in that way, it was meaningless to them. And in the end, the Philistines actually captured that Ark of the Covenant. And by a means of God's working and providence and miraculous, he led that ark back to Shiloh. But when the news came that the ark had been captured, one of Eli's daughter-in-laws was giving birth to a son. And when the news came that the ark had been captured, Eli, an old man, actually fell out of his seat, and when he fell, he broke his neck and he died. His daughter-in-law gave birth to a little boy. The labor was hard and troublesome, so much so that she died shortly after giving birth. But in the process before, she named that little boy Ichabod, which is a Hebrew word that means no glory, no glory, no glory. Ichabod, no glory. For she said that the ark has been taken away. Now how she viewed it, I don't know. Was the visible manifestation, the glory of God there present in it? I don't know. But I will say this, the spiritual condition of the people in that time, and including even of the priests, was horrific. To a point where it would not surprise me if long before the glory had departed. And she was simply acknowledging that fact. In our study of the Old Testament, here we've come to the end of the period of the kings. We've come to the end of 2 Kings, where we have the prophets Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel all coming together, and other minor prophets. But these prophets, they have come together, and they are proclaiming warnings against Jerusalem, against the Jews that are living, calling out to them to repent. At the beginning of the time of the kings... David had lived, and his son Solomon had built a magnificent temple to the Lord. And you remember on the day of that temple being dedicated, the glory of the Lord came. The glory of the Lord filled that temple, filled that place, so much so that the priests who were doing their work could not continue in their work for the magnitude of the glory of God. The Lord warned Samuel of how the people would go astray. And not only had Solomon been warned, but so had Moses. Turn with me in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. The whole book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses preached either the last day of his life or the last few days of his life. And God revealed something to Moses that day that is very sad. 
You see, keep in mind that God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to be with his people. He longs to have fellowship with all mankind. We created in his image. That's the very reason we were created in his image, was to have communion with him. But Moses received this warning in Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 16. Follow with me. The Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land. Whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us? Because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they have wrought, in that they are turned to other gods. In Bible Hourly, these last few weeks, we've been learning of the warnings of judgment proclaimed by Jeremiah, and this morning by Ezekiel. Horrific things that cause our ears to tingle. It really troubles us. Those troubles were coming, as we saw this morning, illustrated by Ezekiel, because God had hid his face from them. It was as if an iron pan had been put between God and the people. And here in Deuteronomy, it was foretold, foretold over a thousand years before the events of the last part of the kingdom came, that this would happen. And Jeremiah has been warning of it and crying out to the people to turn to God, to believe God and live, live. But every message that comes from Jeremiah, they ignore. Ezekiel, meanwhile, has already been carried away captive to Babylon, and there again, he is warning of judgment. But the stiff-hearted people would not listen they would not hear. This morning, we went through some of those judgments that were promised and prophesied that would come. Again, things that would cause your ears to tingle. And you may be wondering and asking the question, why, why, why would God do this? Why would he turn his face from his people? Why would he allow the famine and the pestilence to come into that city? Why would he allow Nebuchadnezzar to besiege the place where he had chosen to put his name? The place where he and his glory abode with his people. Why would he let this happen? Ezekiel records for us throughout several chapters, beginning in Ezekiel chapter 8 and continuing on through chapter 11, the gradual departure of the Shekinah from the temple. The abiding presence of God reluctantly left that temple and left that 
city. And Ezekiel explains to us why. And it is exactly in fulfillment of what you see here in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 18, when God said, I will hide, I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they have wrought in that they are turned unto other gods. Turn with me over to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel has been already called by God to prophesy to the people in Babylon, to tell them of the judgments that are coming upon Jerusalem. Twofold purpose, one for the people there in Babylon to realize and to repent, and as well for the messages to make it back to Jerusalem that the people there might repent and live. But have you ever wondered why nobody seemed to pay any attention to Ezekiel? Did you ever wonder why it never seems that anybody paid any attention to Jeremiah? God shows him exactly why in Ezekiel chapter 8. God takes Ezekiel on a vision back to Jerusalem, and he takes him into the very secret places of that city, and he shows them, shows him what the people are doing and why he will forsake them. Look at Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month. By the way, this morning earlier, I kept giving you a wrong date. It wasn't 5888. It's 588. I was giving the wrong number. You knew it, didn't you? A few of you caught on to that, I hope. It was 588. I, was, I had written 588 BC, but when I glanced at it here to tell you it in my Bibles, I read the B as an 8. So, kids, when your mom says to write your math neatly, that's why, write your math neatly. It was in 588 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Jerusalem. That was in 588 B.C. It was on that day, remember, this morning when Ezekiel's wife died. This here is just no more than two years before. I could calculate it out here for you and show you, but it's, it's in the sixth year. That was in the ninth year. This is the year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So this vision takes place just prior, just prior to Nebuchadnezzar coming and besieging Jerusalem. Keep in mind, you could see this in parallel to Jeremiah's sermons. Jeremiah has, is in Jerusalem, and he is preaching. He is warning. The prophets in Jerusalem are all saying, oh, don't worry about the Babylonians. In fact, those who have already been carried away captive, they're all going to come back. All the riches that have been stolen from us, it's going to come back. Lying prophets. Jeremiah is crying out to the people saying, serve the king of Babylon, submit to him. Your captivity is going to be 70 years. Submit to it and live. Well, he also is crying out to them to turn from their sins. And if you haven't caught on, their sins are pretty big. And perhaps you haven't understood what is so egregious. I wonder if Jeremiah even knew. For here now, the Lord reveals to Ezekiel some of those sins. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass in the sixth year, that is the year of Zedekiah, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, 
as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward as the appearance of brightness and the color of amber. Here he sees a glimpse of God's glory. And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. Well, what happens here now is that the Lord takes Ezekiel in a vision, not literally, but in a vision to Jerusalem and shows him what is going on there in Jerusalem. Here you can see a summary of that place and location of the different parts of the, the, the temple mount and the royal palace of Solomon and all that was there. And some of this had shifted and changed a little bit over the years, but for the most part, it still continued. You see at the top there section is the temple, and you see the, the sections there where it's divided. You can see the Holy of Holies in the square cube side, and then you have the holy place, and then you see all around the temple those little rooms. Some of the places referred to here bring us into these parts of the temple and to the courtyard of the temple. The buildings on the south side of this, to the lower part, are parts of the royal palace and the throne room of Solomon and still of the, of the kings of Judah. But the temple is where the Lord brings him. And here, the Lord brings him, and he brings him to this place here, to the inner gate that looketh toward the north. Well, you can see that there. You see the little square outside the temple to the north there? There's a little gate there coming into that courtyard. And you see there was set the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. Do you know what that was? It was an idol. Right there in the very gate, the entrance into the temple, which wasn't, by the way, the main entrance, but this little side entrance to the temple, they had set up an image of jealousy. Why was it called that? Because it was an idol that provoked the one true God to jealousy. You see, the Lord, he is one. He is the Lord. He is the only God, and he is a jealous God, and there are no others before him. And so any other idols, any other gods, he is jealous of his right to be God because he holds it alone. And they threaten him. And here is described this image of jealousy. Here we have a temple where the abiding presence of God is, where he has chosen to place his name, and they have put there in that very place an idol. And you wonder why Jeremiah has been crying out to the people to turn from your sins, to turn from your wickedness, and turn to God. They're not ashamed of worshiping the idols. And if you look here in verse 4, we find a reference to the glory of God. Verse 4, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. He saw God's glory in the plain, and now he sees it in his temple. We find it here in the temple. Well, here Ezekiel is, and the vision in this place, and then the Lord said, 
to Ezekiel, verse 5, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. Oh. Do you see again, do you echo the words that were given to Moses back there the, on his deathbed or the day of his death? I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought in that they are turned into other gods. Here we see these other gods right there in this entrance. Verse 6, Ezekiel 8, 6. And he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. God says, you see why I will leave? Do you see why I will leave? Do you see it? Far off from my sanctuary. But the Lord says to Ezekiel, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. What he has found here is a secret entrance, a secret chamber into the temple. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw. If you look there at that temple, you see the outer rooms to that temple, which were storage rooms, places where the treasures were to be kept the supplies for the priests, for all that was to take place. Now they had taken a section of it and set it aside and made a secret entrance to it. And God leads Ezekiel through that secret entrance to see what they're doing in Jehovah's temple. Verse 10, So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about them. So here in this room he comes and he finds all of the idols and the graven images set up in this room all about. Now this is not some place in some rich guy's house in Jerusalem. This is in the temple of Jehovah. Images and depictions of creatures, beasts, and demons. And you, you might be shocked by that. But what, what, what comes next is even more horrific. Verse 11, And there stood before them 70 men, of the ancients of the house of Israel. The ancients here of the house of Israel means these are the powerful men. These 
are the rulers in Jerusalem. Do you wonder why Jeremiah is having such a hard time? In secret, these men are worshiping in the temple, not Jehovah, but they have set up in his temple idols and they stand there and worship them. And it's sad what comes next. It says, and in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. They're burning incense to these demons, these idols, in the temple of Jehovah, and one of them is named. I don't know if this is the same Shaphan, but taking into consideration the context of where he is and what's going on here, I believe this is the same Shaphan that just a generation or two before had been the one who, when the law of God had been found in this temple, I wonder why it maybe was lost if this was going on a few generations before, when it was found, was the one who read it before King Josiah. We found that some of Shaphan's descendants in the days of Jeremiah have been godly men standing up to the unrighteousness. But here we find a hint, not all. Not all. One of his sons or grandsons here stand in this room, leading in this worship of demons, idols. Then said he unto me, verse 12, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. Remember, Ezekiel had just said that he had seen the Lord there. The Lord, in fact, in his glory, hadn't even left. What's implied here is that what's actually seen, if they could go into the Holy of Holies, would be the actual glory of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. But they're not paying any attention to the glory of the Lord. They're rather in the secret hiding chambers, worshiping their idols and saying God doesn't see. God doesn't see. Total exact contradiction to everything that Jeremiah has been preaching and Ezekiel has been preaching and other prophets. They won't listen. They do not see it. Instead, they say God is no longer here. God has forsaken us. God hadn't actually yet forsaken them. He had called for them to turn to him, to turn to him, to turn to him, to live. But they wouldn't. But continuing here in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 13, He, the Lord, said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, another pagan idol. It was a Greek god, a new god, relatively to many of their gods. Keep in mind, too, at this time and in this place, just in the valley to the south, Jeremiah tells us that they were sacrificing their children to Moloch. And then they would come and they would weep for this god. What kind of god causes you to weep? Weep. 
you see their knowing troubles coming and they're weeping to this God for help. Verse 15, Then said the Lord unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord, of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they worshiped the sun toward the east. So here now, these men are standing here. So here is the temple of the Lord. Here is the Holy of Holies, where the glory of the Lord is, abiding between the cherubims. And they're standing here, not worshiping the Lord, but rather facing this direction, east. And they are worshiping the sun, which should cause your ears to tingle, considering the fact that Jeremiah has just preached a message promising them. Well, he hasn't actually preached it yet in this time period, but he, Jeremiah will preach a sermon to them, telling them that the sun is a very sign and evidence of God's faithfulness. Not to be worshipped, but rather to cause us to turn to the Creator and worship Him. But here they are, no. They're not worshipping Jehovah. Instead, they had their back to Him, His temple, and they worship the sun from the very gate of His temple. Verse 17, Then the Lord said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. So not only are they worshiping these idols and these demons, they have filled the land with violence. They have gone about as Ezekiel has prophesied in other places and as Jeremiah has prophesied. They have gone about stealing the homes of widows and orphans. And if resisted, they just kill. They've gone about and when someone comes to plead a cause for righteous judgment, when a man's abusing his wife at home, they come to the temple and they hold onto the altars crying, crying, crying for mercy and for justice. They ignore it. And instead, they reward the abusers. Malachi tells us of that. Violence is filled in the land. In fact, when the abuse and the violence comes, as Malachi is described, they take it and they just cover it with a garment. They have filled the land with violence, persecution. Look what they've done to Jeremiah. God says, do you see what they've done here? And then they go on, they filled the land with violence and have returned so they go about doing all of this violence, God's saying to Ezekiel, and then they have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. And what exactly that is, I'm not sure. Some have thought that it perhaps is a visible symbol of the fact that their own idolatries and their the burning of their children stank. And they would just find the lilac bush and clip off a branch of it so they wouldn't have to smell the burning of their own children that they sacrificed to their gods. So they just put the branch to their nose. Their own, their own wickedness, their own violence, their own idolatries are repugnant. And yet instead, 
They come in just, you know, covering it, masking it with their perfumes. Verse 18. Therefore, the Lord said, Will I also deal in my fury? Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And they, they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. He basically says what they have said is that the Lord is forsaken, the Lord does not see. He says they will feel that way, for I will leave. The next chapter Chapter 9, we don't have time to go through it verse by verse, but the Lord in the vision has Ezekiel see a man clothed in linen with an inkwell and a marking instrument. He commands him to go through the city and to mark the righteous, to mark the righteous, to identify them. And then he commands others to go after him and to slay everyone else. In the midst of all of this taking place, look with me at verse 3. It says, and the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. The Shekinah glory, the abiding glory of God had been there in the holy of holies, the most holy place between the cherubims above the mercy seat, but it ascended from there and it moved to the gate of that house, to the beginning of the temple. As we keep on reading, it's again stated in verse 10, verse 4, describing this movement of the Lord. Seems almost as if it happened ever so gradual. It seems as if it was reluctant. And then as we continue on through, and there's more visions of what takes place here, we, we find in Chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, The cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them. He moved from the most holy place to the threshold of the house, to the eastern gate. To where the men were standing with their backs to this all, worshiping the sun. And as we continue on, we come to chapter 11 and verse 22, and there it says, Then did the cherubim see the angels were there with the glory and the presence of God. These were the angels, not just the golden angels that were on the ark. See, the whole reason why the ark had the cherubims, the golden box had the cherubims, is a representation that the actual throne of God had real creatures, living beings, cherubims, four of them about him, described over in chapter 1 and also in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and here now, this glory of the Lord, the glory of God was over them above, and look what it says in verse 23, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Moved from the most holy place 
to the threshold, to the gate, to hovering over the people in the city, out to the mountain, the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city. And that's the end of the vision. Jerusalem is Ichabod. No glory. No glory. And I don't think anyone missed it. That's the sad part. That's the sad part. Because they were too busy worshiping their despicable gods. And here now we find the fulfillment of the promise made to Moses Back in Deuteronomy 31, do you remember it? And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, for all the evils which they shall have wrought, and that they are turned unto other gods." The fulfillment of that is vividly described for us here in Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11. If you turn a little bit later to Ezekiel chapter 14, we find Ezekiel sitting there in Babylon and the elders of Judah come to him. See, those who had already been carried away captive come to Ezekiel. And you might say, oh, good, maybe some of these are the good figs, you know, them good apples that are in the captivity. So they come to Ezekiel. And they're sitting there before him. And the Lord points something out to Ezekiel about these men. Son of man, Ezekiel 14, 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? I think this is important for us to recognize because we sit back a little bit like these elders and we see these men of Judah and we just go, how could they be so stupid? How could they worship graven images and idols? And how could they do these horrific things? And here now you have a group of people who don't have those things. They've been removed and ripped away from it. And they come to inquire of the Lord and the Lord allows Ezekiel to glimpse into their hearts. And what does he find in them? idols of the heart. I think this has relevance to us. We can sit back and we can look back in history and we can see these things and we can shudder and our ears can tingle and we can be horrified by it all. But do we have idols in our heart that nobody sees? What are the things that in our life or sins that may be even secret sins 
that we coddle, that we protect. I don't have the advantage of Ezekiel. God hasn't let me see into your heart. But you know the Spirit of God sees it all. There's no idol. There's no love of anything more than you love God set in your heart that he does not see. He sees it. He sees it. And it is a stumbling block to you. This morning, as we look back on these people from time of old, let us take heed. Let us truly shudder at the horror of it. But then let's recognize and consider and ask the Spirit of God to search and try my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do I have sins and secret sins that nobody knows about in my heart? Are there things? Are there habits? Are there desires? Are there imaginations of my heart that are evil, that are wicked? Are there lusts, desires that we have that distract us from being fully surrendered to our God? Do we worship him? The scriptures tell us if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That iniquity is like that iron pan that we saw this morning that goes between us. Confess your sins, forsake your sins, and find mercy. The dispensational distinction between Israel and the church is indeed significantly distinctive and different. But nonetheless, our God is still a holy God. And we are still a sinful people in desperate need of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to clothe us. And we are in desperate need today to be filled with his spirit that we may walk and live holy before him. Do we allow the idols in our heart? There can be lots of different things they are. It's amazing to me because as we think of this and the history of this, and you know there is no record of the abiding Shekinah glory ever returning to the temple. When the second, because Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and, and he utterly destroyed this place. And, and years later, it was rebuilt. But there's no record ever again of the abiding glory ever returning to that place. In a sense, it did. As that temple was expanded under Herod, there was one who came and walked the, that temple whose name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. They rejected him too. And that temple ended up getting destroyed in AD 70. For the past 2,000 years, there has been no temple, so to speak. Well, or has there? The Bible tells us that if we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we become a part of a spiritual building, the dwelling place of God. And the Holy Spirit of God himself lives inside of us. And so if you this morning have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and received him, you have the Holy Spirit living inside. And you know what? He isn't going to leave. But 
I am thoroughly convinced that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, if we allow idols to be set up in our hearts, we are quenching the Spirit. What's that mean? Well, imagine life-giving water flowing through a hose and you kink it. That's quenching the flow of water, isn't it? Well, the Holy Spirit is a life source within us. And in the days when we face temptations, in the days when we face heartache and pain, when the very moments when we need the Holy Spirit of God, when we regard iniquity in our hearts and when we allow idols to be set up in our hearts, in those days, we are quenching the Spirit not allowing him to give us the victory, not allowing him to give us the peace that he alone can give. He won't leave, praise God, he won't leave the true believer's heart. But we can quench him. We can keep his life-giving source and strength and power from accomplishing what he longs to do within us. Let's not quench him. Let's not quench him, but let us walk in the Spirit of God. Let us be filled with the Spirit of God. Let us live committed to him and let all of the idols be cast out, be cast aside, be gotten rid of. Let us give all of our sins, all of our temptations to Jesus Christ who makes a way of escape, who guarantees us the victory by faith, believing in him. You know, we have the glory of God living within us. That's amazing. But to use the little illustration of the uh, children's object lesson, I know I'm breaking the illustration a little bit, but do we hide it under a bushel? Do we quench it? Do we not allow his spirit to accomplish within us what he so much longs to accomplish? Because we're not willing to give up our pet sins and our pet idols and our imaginary evils or real evils. Let's give them to Christ and turn to him. Gracious God, we thank you for revealing to us this history, to letting us see into the secret lives of these men of old as an illustration to us here today that you see our secret lives, that everything is laid out bare before you. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see the good and the evil, Nothing is hid from you. We rejoice. We rejoice this morning knowing that you long to abide with your cre creation, with us, with each of us made in your image. But we also know that sin troubles that. And yet we also know that you have accomplished all that need be done through your son Jesus, his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection has removed the barrier of sin so that we can abide with you, so that we can be with you, 
so that your spirit can live within us. Lord Jesus, may we walk daily in your spirit, moment by moment. May we take the secret sins, the hidden imaginations of our hearts. May we take the actions that are done in secret or in public blatants and surrender. Surrender to you that you may give us the victory. May we have faith in you. May we believe that you see all things and that you have the power and strength to forgive and that you have the power and strength to give us the victory. May we not be as the ancients of Judah, the princes of Judah, but may we this morning know you. And may we know you with nothing between, clear and open, that you might live your glorious life through us. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray this morning for those here who have not received Jesus, who have not become a part of your spiritual house, the temple of God in this time, those who have not had their sins forgiven, those who deserve and will go to the lake of fire unless they receive Jesus today. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move and your spirit in the hearts of each one who has not received the forgiveness of sins, that today they might believe, trust in you and receive life everlasting and the forgiveness of sins that they might then be your temple, that your spirit might take up residence within them to give them the strength and the victory and the peace that only you can give. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our lives, what you will do. May we walk humbly with you, our God, knowing you, hoping in you, trusting in you, looking for your soon return. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As Lincoln comes to lead us, we're going to sing a song. If this morning you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and become his temple, he lives inside of you when you become his temple. Believe on him. Trust in him today. Be saved. If you've got questions, I'll be here as we sing if you can't wait, or I'll be in the back afterwards, and I'd be happy to share with you from the Bible how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can have the Holy Spirit move in and live inside of you. Oh, what a glorious thing that would be. I'd love to help and show you from the Bible. It's as simple as believing in what Jesus has done for you. Believer, are you quenching the Spirit of God in some way? He knows it. And he knows exactly how and why. As we sing, ask him to search your heart and try you, to show you the evil way. Turn to him. Be filled with him this morning. It's done by faith. Believing in him. Trusting in him. Don't quench the spirit any longer.